Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Everyone, and welcome. I'm a little Happy flustered Tuesday. because, you know, technology does that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Always, not sometimes. Yeah, really. Um, last week, we talked about uh, realtor versus for sale by owner, FISBO is all, it always, it is also called. Um, today, we're going to speak about the five questions for buy property. Um, but before we jump right in, please let us know where you're joining us from. Um, and as we go through this, please ask your questions. It doesn't even have to pertain to this subject. Just throw questions out. Um, <laughs> that's what we're here for. So... With that being said, let's jump right in. Brian, let's go right into the probably most difficult question of all these. Um, how does cash on cash return compare? How do you do that? How do you compare the cash on cash return to other investments you might be looking at? Sure. So, I mean, that's really the question before making any investment is, is what do you hope to earn on it? And one of the huge advantages to rental properties over things like stock investments is that you can actually calculate quite accurately what the return on investment will be for any given property that you go to buy. So we have a free rental property ROI calculator on our site. Um, it's not even Which gated. It's really you know, fun to play with. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's free. It's fun to play with. Um, so, you know, you go in and you put in the purchase price and your expected closing costs and, and so forth and, uh, and your mortgage information along with the expected uh, expenses for the property. And it will tell you um, both, you know, it'll tell you cap rates, it'll tell you your cash on cash return for, for your own cash down payment and closing costs and potentially any uh, upfront repairs that are needed. Um, so in this way, you know, if you get this right, you never have to make a bad investment again because you will know before you invest exactly what kind of return you're going to earn on a property. So, I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite things about rental properties is that predictability of returns. Sorry, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. So it looks like you put a link to the, uh, the, the free rental property ROI calculator in the comments. Um, yeah, yes. I look for cash on cash returns that are at least seven to eight percent. Um, you know, anything less than that, and I figure I might as well just put my money in the stock market, uh, where you know historically you can earn ten percent a year on average. Of course, some years it's you know minus twenty percent, other years it's plus thirty percent. You know, whatever. Right. But yeah, anything less than seven or eight percent cash on cash return does not particularly excite me. It's funny because a lot of people have differences in that. Like they're very either exact and they think it should be eight to 10 or, you know, do, is there, I mean, what if somebody finds a property that's six and a half percent? Is that still, is that something they'll run? Oh, I mean, it, it's, it's up to you as an investor, what you're willing to accept on your money. Um, you know, I really look for eight to 10% on my money. Um, 
when you're first starting out, you're not going to be hitting home runs. I mean, that, that, as a real estate investor, that's just what it is. I mean, your first couple deals, you really, you're just trying to A, not lose money and B, learn the ropes. So I, I yeah, a six and a half percent return is not necessarily a deal breaker. Uh, I look for, for slightly better returns, but it just comes down to your goals. And you might decide that you feel really strongly about a certain area that you, you think it's going to appreciate really well over the next 10 years. So you're willing to accept you know, a, an income yield of say 6%, 7%, whatever, mm. um, you know, because you also believe that you will be earning uh, some strong appreciation on that property as well, you know, in addition to that, that cash flow. Right. Um, Tara says, hey guys. Tara, I just want to check with you and make sure we are live on the page. We were having some technical difficulties, so let us know. I I'm pretty sure I saw us on the page. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Well, you know, if, if she can see us and put comments in there, we're probably live. <laughs> okay. Well, there you uh, go. But yeah, I mean, the important thing with calculating your returns on a, on a rental property are to include all of your expenses accurately. And that includes a lot of these expenses that are not hitting you every single month, but that will hit you periodically. Things like repairs and maintenance, mm -hmm. things like um, you know, vacancy rates, turnovers, um, you know, you're not going to have to replace the roof every single month, right? But right. You know, when you do replace the roof, it's going to cost you $10,000 or, you know, whatever it is for, for your property. Um, so you do need to incorporate these. You know, I usually estimate between 10 and 15% of the rent each month for, uh, you know, set that aside for repairs and maintenance on a rental property. Now, would that have anything to do with like the age of the property? If it's an older property, would you figure in more? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. If it's a brand new property, then, you know, by all means figure in, you know, uh, less or on the lower side of that range. Uh, if it's an old property that is in desperate need of repairs and maintenance, then, you know, you're going to have to bump that up a little bit. So. Right. And a lot of people don't figure in repairs, which um, blows me away because well, a lot of I new mean, landlords that, lose money. Yeah. I mean, that can really cause problems. What are some other costs that you see people missing? Um, you know, you're going to have incidental costs that, you know, any given one of those is not very big. You know, things like travel expenses, accounting and bookkeeping, legal costs, marketing costs, you know, those are all small, but they add up to usually two to 4% of the rent, you know, when averaged over the long term. Uh, so, you know, those miscellaneous expenses, you know, set aside a little extra buffer for those. Um, also, bear in mind that property taxes will go up. It's, that is inevitable. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they are calculating their cash flow on a rental property, they'll use today's property tax bill. But as soon as you buy that property for a higher cost than the current assessment, the assessment is going to reset to the, the purchase price that you paid for it. That may not happen this year. Uh, usually reassessments are done in three-year cycles, or at least they are in, uh, in Maryland. But you know, it will, it will reset. Your property tax bill will go up based on the purchase price that you pay for the property. And then probably, you know, keep increasing from there because local governments want to sap as much money out of you as they possibly can. So they're going to assess your property for as high as they think they can get away with. Not to mention, um, if you're in an HOA or a condominium and you are renting that out, those, uh, they can go up too. Um, 
So you want to keep that in mind. No question. So what about uh, location, Brian? How do you, uh, what are some of the things that you take into consideration when looking at location? Yeah, so I mean, that's that's really the second question that you want to dive into here before buying a property. Um, you want to look at the neighborhood appeal. You want to look at what direction the neighborhood is trending in. You know, are, are more businesses closing or are more businesses opening? Right. I mean, is, is the neighborhood going in the right direction or is it going in the wrong direction? Uh, and one that I particularly like as a litmus test is, would you feel safe walking down the street at 10 p.m. in this neighborhood by yourself unarmed? <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny you say that because when I take people um, out, you know, to show them houses and whatnot, one of the things I always tell them is to please drive through this neighborhood at all different times. Come by at dinner time to see how the parking is. Come by on the weekend evenings to see if there's issues or, or problems. And that, that's important to do because, yeah, like you said, you want to make sure it's safe. Yeah. And, you know, for urban neighborhoods in particular, uh, parking can be a big deal. You know, I lived in downtown Baltimore for a long time in Fells Point and parking was a problem, at least in, in some parts of, of the area. So, um, but in the middle of the day, parking was easy. So if you were only looking at properties there in the middle of the day, you would have a, a skewed view of what the parking situation is there. Right. And for renting, that is an issue. People, you know, they don't want to have a problem. It's harder to rent out a property without uh, decent parking. Yeah, yeah, no. And so in Fells Point in Canton in Baltimore, just to give you an example, houses that have a parking pad in the back, uh, it adds $100,000 to the value of the property, or it can anyway, in, in, uh, oh, you know, wow. in more desirable parts. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, parking makes a big difference. Wow. That's amazing. So let's talk, and, and we've, I've seen um, this question come up in the Landlord Hub about property class, you know, the A, the B, the C. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, what they are first and how they affect, you know, an outcome? Sure. So A-class properties are where your upscale, um, upper middle class professionals are working, uh, and living. So doctors, lawyers, upper managers, um, you know, pe people who are earning six figures and up. Uh, those are really your A-class neighborhoods. Uh, B-class neighborhoods are, you know, very solid middle-class neighborhoods. Um, you know, your uh, teachers and uh, firefighters and police officers and, uh, you know, skilled workers, um, accountants, you know, these. So, yeah, B-class neighborhoods, solid middle-class C-class neighborhoods, you're starting to get into, you know, a little grittier working class neighborhoods. D-class neighborhoods are really gritty <laughs> um, and, you know, borderline slummy. So, I mean, that's like the 30-second the overview. Um, and, of course, the cap rates and the returns are going to be higher in the higher risk neighborhoods because the risk is priced in. Um, you know, if you're buying a rental property in a neighborhood where a bunch of upper middle class professionals are living, there's very little risk there. Um, at least, at least much of the risk is is lower. You know, there's a much lower risk of rent defaults. There's a much lower risk of them abusing your property, um, because, first of all, credit matters quite a bit to these people, um, and they're also easy to find and collect from. 
So, you know, if, if they were to stiff you somehow, you could go after them and get a judgment against them and actually be able to collect on that judgment. In D-class neighborhoods, where I first started investing, you know, years ago when I first got started, uh, you'll never collect from any of those people. I mean, I, most of the time, I never bothered to get a judgment against tenants, even if they left owing me, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. I knew it wasn't worth it to go after them because I'd never be able to find them, much less collect them from them. What is the appeal then? There has to be an appeal. People do uh, invest in those areas. In D-class neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. Higher, higher cap rates. Um, higher potential returns. Um, but there is a lot higher risk. And I mean, I've run into crime problems, you know, break-ins. I've had many times, I've had people uh, rip apart their air conditioning condenser to steal out the copper piping. Um, I mean, you, you just run into all these extra risks, you know, higher turnover rates in the neighborhoods, you know, higher crime rates, of course. Um, and the crime rates, you know, that's those affects you not just in direct crime against your property, um, but crime against your tenants, you know, mm -hmm. encourages even your good tenants to move out. Um, and if, you know, if people don't feel, if good tenants don't feel safe living there, then you're not going to have good tenants, right? I mean, uh, in, I've had good tenants yeah. move out of my properties in bad neighborhoods before because they didn't feel safe there. So. Um, makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, so, so definitely like beginners should not be looking towards uh, those. No, and they're, yeah. they're appealing to beginners because the prices are lower, right? right. Um, and because the cap rates look really good on paper. So, I mean, that's what drew me to those areas when I was 23 and, <laughs> and, and first getting started. Um, you know, and I, I thought, oh, you know, I can buy these affordable properties and that will let me diversify because I'll be able to buy a whole bunch more of them, you know, rather than having to put all of my money into, you know, one expensive property, I can buy, you know, 10 cheaper properties or whatever. Um, but that's it, it didn't work out <laughs> is the short, the short version of that um there's a reason why the cap rates are so much higher in order to try to attract people there um i mean that that is the market speaking because the risk is so much higher and there are so many more headaches in trying to collect rents uh in tenant damage to your property and tenants not treating your property well and crime all that stuff yeah that that is and it's yeah a lot more aggravating, a lot more time consuming. It is. And the higher turnover rates in those neighborhoods makes a huge difference in your returns because turnovers are not only where all of your headaches come in as a landlord, but they're also where most of your expenses come in as a landlord as well. You know, you have to go in and at the bare minimum, you have to repaint the unit. You have to usually put in new carpets or uh, new, new vinyl floors or whatever. Um, it's just, it's a nightmare. Turnovers are your, your worst enemy as a landlord right. and the worse the neighborhood, the higher the turnover rate. Makes sense. So now let's talk about the physical end of the building. Let's talk about the condition. What are some of the things that um, you should pay particular attention to? Well, first of all, look for any needed structural repairs, because if the building needs structural repairs, <laughs> consider that a huge red flag. Those can not only be extremely expensive to repair, they can also be very difficult to repair and sometimes unpredictable. Um, you know, if so, for example, a property with foundation problems, 
you might think you can get away with spending $5,000 or something to repair these foundation problems mm -hmm. only to get the, the specialists in there and get halfway through the job. And they say, no, it's actually going to be more like $15,000 um, or worse. I mean, so you really got to be careful of uh, major structural repairs. Beginner investors should avoid properties with uh, structural repair problems. Um, you know, the next thing is major mechanical systems, you know, the HVAC, you know, the furnace, uh, air conditioning condenser, uh, hot water heater, the, you know, look at the, the plumbing in the house, how old is it? Uh, the wiring in the house, how old is that? Um, if the property needs major mechanical overhauls, these are much more predictable than uh, structural problems, but they're still going to require you to get permits, uh, which you may or may not feel comfortable with. Um, and they're still going to require licensed contractors. So just be aware that, you know, there's, you can make good money renovating properties, flipping properties, doing the Burr method, um, you know, with these properties that need major mechanical overhauls, but just keep in mind that it's going to be a lot more work on your part and cost a lot more money in renovations and repairs. Um, so if you are inexperienced, if you have not done many deals, I would stay away from major mechanical repairs for your first few deals. I would stick with cosmetic improvements if you want to buy a fixer upper or a property that needs some updating. Now, um, people who are not mechanically inclined or just knowledgeable of these things, would you advocate a home inspection or at least bringing along a contractor to check out the home before you buy oh, you it? You should always get a home inspection done. I mean, even if you're making an offer without a home inspection contingency, you mm -hmm. still need to know what the property's uh, condition is and what the needed repairs are. So, yeah, even if you don't include that as a contingency clause in your uh, in your offer, still bring in a home inspector so that you are aware and that you know what the needed repairs are. Because sometimes these are behind the walls or not obvious to you. So, you know, even if you've done some uh, home remodeling in your own house, for example, you can still miss some of these needed repairs that a home inspector who's going to go in and spend like three hours, you know, poking and prodding the house that they will hopefully find. Right. Right. And what are some other things? Let's talk about the outside of the house. Well, you know, curb appeal matters. Um, now, if you're, if you're buying a, an ugly house, as they say, or you know, a fixer upper, um, just make sure that you can improve the curb appeal, right? Because, Inexpensively. You know, some, yeah, yeah. I mean, so you just want to make sure that you price in any of those aesthetic updates that the property needs as well, uh, so that you can give it that good curb appeal. And some, let's face it, some houses are just forever ugly, right? I mean, you know, no matter how much money you sink into them, <laughs> they're still going to be ugly on the outside. And you should really probably stick a, stay clear of, of those. Um, because yeah, you, you do want to have that curb appeal. You do want people, you want to make a good impression, a good first impression on prospective tenants and later to prospective buyers when you want to sell. So uh, yeah, the exterior of the house does matter. And I know we talked a lot about, you know, how things are working and the furnace, air conditioning and the roof and all that. But what about cosmetics? Because that is important. I mean, it's the first, you know, people walk in, your renters, potential renters, and, um, you know, that has a lot to do with people are very, yeah, that's, what do they say? The first five seconds they look, 
and it, it can they make it they either. make their judgment right yeah so you just have to price in any needed cosmetic repairs or updates that the property needs you know whether that is as simple as a coat of paint or it's as complicated as putting in a new kitchen new bathrooms you know whatever um again these are pretty predictable repairs which is good um they don't require permits, which is really good, especially for uh, new real estate investors. So yeah, I mean, again, you just wanna make sure that you have accurate estimates for what it will cost to make these kinds of, of updates. Gotcha. Well, let's move on. We talked a little bit about this already, but um, let's get into a little bit more about the property taxes. Cause that is, um, a lot of people don't realize that, um, they're not a flat line. This is it. You're going to pay that for the rest of the time. Um, right. So just be, be aware that uh, the assessment will go up. So what you need to do when you invest in a rental property is you need to know what the local, the county rate is, the property tax rate, and then multiply that by the purchase price that you're paying for the property as an estimate of what you will be paying in the future for your property tax bill. Now, the, the fifth and final question here for uh, buying a rental property and make this decision easier is exit strategies and what kind of exit strategies you will have available to you in case your first plan goes awry. You know, so for a lot of people with rental properties, their, their first plan is keeping it as a long-term rental, you know, signing one year lease, two year lease, whatever. Um, it's nice to have contingency plans in place. So could you use it as, for example, a short-term vacation rental property, you know, could you rent it out on Airbnb and still make the same kind of return on it? Um, you know, even in, including expenses like property management and cleaning and, and so forth. Uh, could you keep it as a corporate rental and rent it out for a few months at a time, you know, maybe furnished? Um, Al Williamson, we, we've brought him on a couple of times to, uh, to teach corporate, uh, corporate rentals as an investing strategy. And, and he gets into all kinds of fun stuff like rental arbitrage and, you know, how to use other people's properties to right. build your own uh, corporate rental business. Um, One of the things, though, I have to say that sticks out to me and it's um, and it's amazing when, you know, it's like when you buy a car and then you see everywhere you drive, you see that same car. So he brought out the whole fact on if you see a lot of the executive hotels and their parking lots are full, then you're probably in a decent area to do this. So now I drive around, I find myself doing that, like looking and are they full? Are they full? <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, if you do buy a fixer upper, you know, like we've been talking about um, with some of these potential repairs needed and so forth, if you, if you are aiming to force equity through uh, extensive renovations or even just cosmetic renovations, um, you know, and your primary, plan is to keep it as like a burr property you know buy renovate rent refinance repeat um it's brian's favorite word <laughs> uh it's a it's a good strategy um but you know could you could you flip the property instead you know as again as a contingency plan uh you know as an alternate exit strategy so it just the more exit strategies you have at your disposal the better off you are in case plan a does not work out um you know, I've, I've had that happen to me before where, you know, I was planning on flipping a property and um, the market dropped out in that particular neighborhood. So I ended up keeping it as a, uh, or the homeowner market anyway, dropped out in that neighborhood. So I ended up keeping it as a rental property. Um, but having multiple exit strategies, having multiple contingency plans um, can 
save you a lot of panic <laughs> and of course money uh, down the road if if your first plan does not come together absolutely so brian do you have any other tips tricks of the trade no i think we we covered it so you know to recap uh the first question you should ask before buying a rental property is you know what is the cash on cash return and how does it compare to other potential investments uh second question is how is the location you know, what's the appeal? Uh, third question is, what is the, the property class? I mean, what, or what's the neighborhood class? Uh, third question, how is the physical condition of the property and what repairs does it need? Uh, and of course, how much will those repairs cost? And fifth question finally is, what alternative exit strategies could I use if plan A goes awry? All right. Denny, is there anything else that you want to throw out there before we call this episode complete? Um, I don't think so. I added a link to an article that goes um, into this subject a little bit deeper. And as usual, if you have any questions, send them our way. Um, and if you get a chance and you happen to be listening to our podcast or watching us on Facebook, feel free to leave a review. And um, please send us subject matter. We're we would love more ideas. Yeah, we, we want to talk about what you want to hear about. So, you know, let us know what you want to hear about. And uh, like Denny said, please uh, leave us a review on, on Facebook, on SiteJabber. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast on uh, iTunes or Stitcher, leave us a review there. We really appreciate it. And please don't be a stranger. Shoot us a message over at sparkrunnel.com uh, or email support at sparkrunnel. And we will see you next Tuesday. Absolutely. Have a great day, guys. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.